Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. On this week's show, we have a jam-packed episode, so we hope you enjoy it. So sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage, and let's talk everything there is to know in Louisiana outdoors. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by SRD20 Boat Products. It shouldn't be hard work. SRD20 products use advanced nanotechnologies in its formulations, explicitly designed for boat maintenance. From boat waxes for detailing to waterless washing wax products, SRD20 has boat care products that keep your boat protected from the elements and looking brand new. Visit them online at www.srd20.com and enter promo code LASTSTOP for 20% off all SRD20 products today. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast is also brought to you by the Can Cooker. Seth McGinn's Can Cooker is the simplest and healthiest, most convenient cooking system available. The Can Cooker takes the cattle drive tradition of cooking in a cream can and updates it for today's busy lifestyle. Pack the Can Cooker with ingredients and enjoy a mouth-watering, slow-cooked meal in a fraction of the time of normal cooking. Use it indoors and outdoors to cook a healthy meal on any stovetop, campfire, burner, grill, or the new multi-fuel burner portable cooktop from Can Cooker. Visit us on the web at cancooker.com. Hey folks, welcome back to a new episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. I'm your host, Jacob Robery, and I'd like to welcome you all in this week, guys. We are now just a couple of weeks away uh, from teal season opening up, and I know a lot of you guys are getting fired up. You're ready to get going. Uh, it is now the best time of the year, in my opinion. You've heard me say that before, but hunting season is upon us. We have dove season opening up, and uh, we're headed right into teal season uh, right after that, guys. So thank you so much. I know you guys, like I mentioned, are fired up probably like we are, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to join us this week on a new episode as, uh, as I'm excited, I'm excited because I have another guest on with us this week, Mr. Jay Thomas with Blindgrass Camo Systems. We're going to be bringing Jay in here in a second to uh, introduce himself to all of you, and we're going to kind of find out about his products, guys, what he has to offer, which is very unique in the uh, in the market for waterfowl hunting. And uh, I'm excited to get to talk to Jay, and I'm sure you guys are going to be interested to hear what he has to say. So let's go ahead and bring Jay in again. And, uh, and we're going to get started here, guys. All right. Good morning, Jay. How are you this morning? Good morning. We good. We good. And you? Good. Doing really well, buddy. Doing really well. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. It's an honor to have you, have you on the show. And uh, for all of our listeners, I was just kind of giving a brief introduction uh, to who you are. But, uh, but if you don't mind, introduce yourself, your name, and who you are and who you with. Hi, Jay Thomas. Uh, we're in Lafayette, and uh, the company name is Blindgrass Camouflage Systems. All right. We make uh, synthetic grass for duck blinds, uh, goose pits, goose blinds. Uh, a lot of people started using them for turkey now, and got people using them for deer blinds now. It's a fully synthetic uh, grass product. Um, this is called the color. We got three different colors. This is the, I can't see where I'm going on. Fall blend to get it on the screen, uh, which is kind of a, some browns and tans. It's real works really well in the marsh and timber and 
a lot of places like it. Um, and then we have a, a rice, kind of a dead rice, Johnson grass color. Um, also, it works in the cornfields up north. And then we have a green, we'll call it a winter green, which is a couple of different colors of green. Good, great for teal season or um, any, any levees or any place you hunt that still has got green. It's a fully synthetic product, so it doesn't, it doesn't rot, doesn't mildew, doesn't get wet, doesn't hold water. Uh, it's going to last for years and years. It doesn't shine. has no bad things to go along with it. Yeah, and that, that's what caught my attention, Jay. Like whenever uh, I came across your company uh, on social media, man, a lot of guys out there promoting the product because they've had a lot of success with it. Um, they've really had, you know, they had guys that said that they've been using the product on a blind for four or five years and it still looked like the day they bought it. And uh, that really caught my attention because the old traditional products that we had out there where you, your typical fast grass, all that type of stuff, which, hey, you know, if you travel, if you're a, if you're a bow blind guy and you're traveling down the road, you're going 65, 70 miles an hour, you fall on behind one of those guys, you see all the grass flying off the blind. Uh, and, man, you're lucky to make it through a year, Jay, with, on your blind with something like that, the old traditional stuff. And then on top of that, like you mentioned something, your product doesn't mildew like, you know, the traditional fast grass does. You get that old mildew that it holds a lot of moisture inside the, uh, the old traditional fast grass. And with your product with, with blind grass, it doesn't do any of that stuff, man. And that's 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 what really caught my attention and sparked my interest in, in uh, looking into what you had and contacting you. And it seems like you had a lot of happy customers out there. We have not had a single customer that want to return the product. Um, everybody's been real. The, the most, the, the biggest description we've had actually is everybody said, people say it's a game changer the way they do things. Uh, when we first started, I wanted to be in the big stores, you know, and all the stores and sell retail. Um, and I would send it out to some of the big stores, send them samples. And some of them said stuff like, you know, the problem with this, it doesn't disintegrate after a year, meaning they don't sell it year after year after year they can't go through enough of it quick uh, they need people to re re repurchase it yeah so uh i re kind of thought our uh our business plan again and said out i we were getting a lot of online sales and i said i think i just want to i don't want to be in stores you know maybe a couple of local stores but i really want to just do it um totally we sell direct to customers um we started using it a few years ago to test it out. Um, we got some samples made. I'd go in, out in the field and I would paint it, you know, different colors to try to get the kind of colors we wanted. Uh, I wanted to make sure it was going to hold up. It wasn't going to shine. Um, you know, kind of rethinking, you know, thinking everything. I didn't want it too brittle, but I didn't want somebody poking an eye. Um, so, you know, because like, we use soft grass here a lot of times on blinds, and it's it holds up really well. But it it'll poke the hell out of you. I know somebody that went to the doctor because or the hospital because they poked their eye, and somebody poked their ear drum. Wow. Um, so once we started selling it, and people you know start buying it around the country, and then especially people up north with boat blinds, and when people started, a lot of people started calling it for the boat, getting it for the boat blinds, and they started calling me or texting or so we get different messages. And it's just phenomenal because it didn't get wet. You know, it doesn't add a bunch of weight to our blinds. It doesn't get heavy. Um, and it doesn't freeze. 
when we, you know the people up north we don't experience that stuff they said it gets so wet up there and it gets, starts getting cold and that stuff starts freezing all of a sudden they got hundreds of pounds more weight on their boat we had a guy that used they said they use raffia grass because they got to sit to them so they promote it yeah he said it almost killed them because it got you know it gets stringy it starts falling off it got stuck it sucked up to bill's pump and they couldn't go they couldn't get water out the boat you know lake putting on lake erie four foot waves almost killed them yeah so it's also a safety issue oh uh, correct uh, correct i could see that yeah on those big water reservoirs like that jay you know you get all that water coming in those boats you need those bilge pumps working as uh as good as they can be i guess yeah that could be a life-threatening uh situation yeah we don't really know we don't have that problem right here with the um with the freezing very rarely we get anything but uh a guy sent me a video last two years ago when it got really, really cold. Um, and he was somewhere in Oklahoma or somewhere. And it had like minus four degrees and nine inches of snow and sleet. And he was going out on his boat. He just went outside and he was filming it. And he was um, he was taking the, the blind grass. The snow was just coming off of it. And he was taking it and he was bending it back and forth and doing all this stuff. And that minus four degrees and it wouldn't break or nothing the snow would just falling off of it wow yeah yeah and i heard you tell a story i think it was on a uh, another interview you had did about they were uh they were using it to actually tie something together what was what was that about like the it was so strong the material that they were using it to tie to, to use it as a support or something you had mentioned yeah some of the people use it uh like to tie it up on stakes and stuff yeah but the best one we had was um some guys were hunting in a field and they had a, one of those panel blinds with uh, four mats on it in the truck. It a, they didn't have too good of tires on the truck, had a four drop truck, and they got spinning in the, in the field. So that they couldn't get out, so they took two of the mats off of the panel blind, put them up under the back wheels, spun out of there, and then took them, washed off the mats, and put them back on the panel blind. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's some pretty durable stuff then. Yeah, because it's um, they're wired. We got it comes in the bundle grass, like I was showing, and then the mats. These are rolled up, but it, the mats are sewn. We have four foot high mats and thirty three inch high mats. These mats are sewn. It's a uh, a rubber coated zinc wire, so it doesn't it doesn't rust, and it's okay. sewn like fourteen inches from each end, so the grass will still stand up. Um. So that, and that comes in all three colors, but yeah, we haven't had any complaints. We've been very fortunate. Um, you know, no bad, no bad Facebook comments, which people <laughs> are like to do. Hey, I got, I got an important question to ask you. I know you said, you asked me, Jay asked me yesterday for all of you listening. He said, Hey, he said, are, is this going to be audio on the podcast? He said, or is this going to be video? And I said, well, it's actually going to be both. And Jay, I laughed. Me and my wife were reading the comment when you responded. You said, "Okay, well, I'm gonna wear my pants. I'm gonna make sure I got my pants on tomorrow." <laughs> and I, I started laughing immediately. And she's like, "What are you laughing at?" I said, "Jay responded back to me." I said, and uh, he said, "Okay, well, if it's on video, we're gonna go ahead. We're gonna uh, make sure I got my pants on tomorrow." And I responded back to you. I said, "Yeah, please make sure you either got some shorts or some pants on. I don't want to see your pants." So I got to ask you, do you have your pants on today? I definitely got pants on. Yeah. All right. Well, good, good, good. I thought we'd just kind of laugh about that. I had to mention it to you because, boy, you had me rolling when you responded back. And I, I read it and I looked back at it and I read it again and I started laughing. I said, 
I said, I'm going to like Jay. I said, whenever we get tomorrow to get to talking. And, uh, and man, good old, good old. That You know, that's what I love about, about South Louisiana and just, you know, Louisiana in general, Jay. I mean, the guys down here, we get a lot of, you know, people that come from up north and they'll come down here and they'll hunt with us. And I'm sure you've had friends from, you know, out of state come in and hunt. And one of the biggest things that they always talk about is how much they enjoy coming to Louisiana because it's just the camaraderie that we have, the hospitality that we have here in Louisiana. And in your opinion, what you what sets Louisiana apart from other areas? Why do you think people are so intrigued to come down here and make a hunt in, in Louisiana? Why is that a destination spot for them? Um, you know, even though our hunting has got has not gotten it's not like it used to be. I mean, it's just like it's a. Um, like I said, it's the camaraderie and the, the experience that we make it. You know, it's the, that the, the cooking. Um, you know, everybody around knows that we'll cook anything and make a gravy out of anything. Uh, and it's just everybody comes and enjoys the stories we got. And it's, it's a different um, atmosphere around here. You know, we got we got the marsh and we got rice fields. Um and it's just a totally different thing. You know, I got, um, I think, it, you know, a lot of the, it's the, a lot of podcasts to do. They always ask me about the cooking. Everybody wants to come down here. And eat. The food. Yeah, the food always comes up. When I've done some podcasts with other people that hosted them, you know, and they always want to ask about the food. Hey, what what do you like? You know, do you cook jambalaya? Do you cook, how do you cook your gumbo and all this stuff? And uh, they always they always captivated by the food. That's that's definitely uh, you know something that they that they tend to mention. And then also about the they they real interested nowadays in the waterfowl hunting how it's changed over the years because you know when they hear all the stories like we used to hear from our grandfathers and and uh, you know their grandfathers of how good the waterfowl hunting was here in Louisiana at one point in time. And they always ask, hey, how is it now? I, I see you guys saying that you struggle now. Uh, and, Jay, you probably, you a little bit older than me probably. You've experienced, you know, a different time frame than I did, which I'm, I'm 43 years old. I was lucky enough to grow up, you know, coming up in the 80s hunting with my dad when we were still able to shoot lead at that time, all that type of stuff before it changed. But how has how has it changed? I'm curious to know because I ask everybody, and you being from Louisiana, it's always interesting to hear the comments. How have you seen waterfowl hunting change from when you started waterfowl hunting to where we are nowadays? You better first of all, you better watch that statue of limitation on that lead shot. I, I, I had it wrong. When was that? That was <laughs> that was in the when when did we outlaw lead? That was in the late 80s? When I was a kid. And I'm a older Was it? Was it okay? I'm I'm way off on that. I think you're good on the statute limit. I don't think they can come get you now. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like I remember them hunting lead, and it was in the '80s. But no, we may have been hunting lead. <laughs> <laughs> we may we may have been outlawing, and I didn't know it as a kid. Yeah. Uh, they may have oh, been. Yeah, you, your grandfather was still hunting lead. He probably was. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. You're probably right about that. Um, but but how has it changed? How has it changed since when you started? Like, tell go back to your, go back to your childhood. Have you been waterfowl hunting as as a child, or or was that something you got involved in? Because growing up where you grew up, you grew up in Lafayette. Yeah, I think y'all hunt a lot of the Gaydon area. That is a historically famous uh, area of Louisiana for waterfowl hunting. So when you when you first started, or when did you get into waterfowl hunting? Let me ask you that. 
Well, you know, as soon as I could go to the blind with my dad, um, you know, it's, it was, um, as soon as I could start going, I went and we, um, um, you know, even before I could hold a gun, you know, my dad was, uh, he was a big quail hunter. My, my grandfather was a big duck, duck and goose hunter, but he had, he was older, but I only had one grandfather living, and he was, um, he couldn't really hunt back then. He had heart problems. But he would tell me, I'd go over to his house, and he'd tell me all the stories, and I was just, you know, enthralled. I was just eating up with it. I still am, man. I'm opening day, I can't, opening night, I can't sleep tonight. I'm still, I'm still like a kid. So, um, and then you're going with my dad and my brother, and my brother and I, we would hunt just, you know, whatever we could. If it was, we had a chance to go shoot one duck, we'd go out there. But it's changed so much. Um, crawfishing is a huge deal. Um, back, you know, 15 years ago, White Lake used to hold just a ton of ducks and geese. Mallards, pintails, spackabellies, uh, BP or Amoco gave it to the students. It used to be Amoco, then it was BP. They gave it to the state. And the state, of course, screwed it all up. Didn't take care of the levees. So instead of, you know, ducks and geese like water that's this deep, now it's four feet deep, three feet deep. They're not going to do it. So they don't hold near the amount of ducks and geese that are there. Ducks and Limited is putting some money back into White Lake to try to fix that up. Um, it's, uh, and then the crawfish farming. I mean, it's just, you got people running traps, you know, Right, running. It's a deeper water. They're making deep water in the uh, for the crawfish. Um, and you and you water. bring up a good point, Jay. Not to cut you off right there, but crawfish warming—that's something that don't get talked about a lot. Uh, so, how how do you see crawfish forming changing the landscape, or how is it affecting waterfowl hunting here in Louisiana or anywhere where they're crawfishing? Well, it's it's deeper. The water's deeper, and the ducks and geese don't want that. You know, the, the good ducks, the mallards, the pintails, the teal, uh, the speckabellies. Um, the, uh, and you got somebody running through, running traps all the time. Um, you know, they're disturbing the ducks and geese running traps. I had, now they're going in Gaydon area and around this area, they go into air boats um, to, to check the craw trap, the crawfish traps. And you know those things make a huge racket. Yeah. We um, we um, just last year in my blind, three hundred yards from it, the guy would come start the airboat seven o'clock every morning, let it sit there and run for thirty minutes. Really? Yeah, that that'll definitely mess up a hunt. They um, the crawfish farmer they'll go shoot the geese out your field to get them out. You know, they'll set up crawfish can those cannons, propane cannons to yeah. shoot them out. Yep. Um, you know, it sounded like a young war out there sometimes. They got five cannons set up there, set for 15 second interval. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. You can't work a goose that out. No, no. Um, it's it's like constant hunting pressure on those on those birds. That's what they're thinking. Yeah, and I got a friend, uh, it's a guy there in Gaydon. He plays $10,000 for, for, for a field for blind, bring his customers with his, his uh, farmers going out and shooting the geese out the night before, the afternoon before. He's going to take customers to go hunt. Wow. 
You know, it's just like to constantly get harassed. You don't, you don't drive down Highway 14 from Kaplan to uh, through Gaydon, through Lake Arthur to Thornwell, and see just a good G and geese like you used to see. You used to be littered. They used to be littered on the roads. Yeah, when you when you'd head that way, you used to see them off of the interstate. You'd see birds. Now you you're right, Jay. You don't see that a whole lot. No, and I'm I gotta get a charge. Excuse. Me. And that's okay. So yeah, wh while he gets that, guys, we Jay's right. I mean, the the thing about that is that you know when you used to head down the interstate I twelve here in Louisiana, you would see geese just piled in those fields, piled in those fields. And nowadays, it's completely changed. And, uh, you know, I know we talk a lot about southeast Louisiana, hunting the marshes here in Louisiana on the show a lot. But, it, it, you know, it's great to get that perspective from somebody that's hunting the western portion of the state um, where they could come in and give us their insight to stuff like this, you know. And, uh, and it's just – it's something that's completely changed over the years. And I think what Jay's saying there is it brings up a really good point that – you know, that has changed. And I'm going to, I want to ask your opinion, Jay, on that. What is it from the former's perspective, the crawfish former's perspective that they're trying to, or is it because of the ducks and geese, they're eating the young crawfish and they're trying to keep them out of those ponds? What's the correlation there? They eat everything. They eat the young crawfish. They eat the, the, uh, crust. They eat the, uh, things the crawfish feed on. They eat the, they eat the, uh, cover for the crawfish. Okay. So it's, it's just kind of a bad melting pot, but they still want that check for that for that duck blind. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, what's the average price nowadays? People ask me that all the time, and I've been out of the rice field hunting now for a while. But what are blinds going for in that portion of the state? Like a rice field blind, crawfish field blind. What, what on average? Do you have any idea? I know you mentioned something about a buddy was leasing one for ten grand. You know, it. You know, it depends on where you at, but. Ten grand to have for a, one to have water in Buffalo is going to be about ten grand. Wow, I mean that that's 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 crazy, you know. And not to have and, and to have to compete like you mentioned, Jay, with somebody who's trying to keep the birds off of their property. That's hard for a guy to go get into a lease and, and do that. Or like in your situation with your buddy, he's trying to take you know clients out there. That, yeah. I mean that's that's a constant battle that they must be facing. Yeah, that's his living. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got he's guiding and taking clients out there. Um, yeah, it's and I don't see that ending. I mean, it's getting worse and worse. Like I mentioned, airboats. Good God, those things are loud. Yeah, because airboats, I had no clue. Now, back when I was on the rice fields, they had the old the old traditional wheel style that would push yeah, through the, the crawfish ponds, the paddles. That's right, the paddle boats, and that that's what we were used to. And that was that was you know bad enough, but now you got an airboat going through a, a you know a, a crawfish pond that you're trying to duck hunt next to, and uh, that that's and then the cannons like you mentioned, I had guys hunt with me before, and they, they're like, man, what's that sound going off? You know, we'll be hunting maybe a timber break or something next to ag fields, and that's what it is. These propane cannons now that that they're putting in there, and it's just trying to keep these birds off of these off of these areas. Yeah, and it's it's impossible. You know, it's hard enough to work speckle bellies. But you got a cannon going off next to you. It's just, I had a bunch coming into the field uh, a few years ago. We had a place in Thornwell, Thornwell, mm -hmm. and um, I go over and gonna hunt that afternoon, bring somebody, and they'd set up the adjacent uh, farmer on the next landowner. He put up, 
I think it's either five or six cannons. Really? And they were set like at 15 second intervals. And you know, we had to go home because there's just no way to hunt. Yeah. Yeah. You can't compete against that. So, you know, in your area too, Gaydon, all that area, we talked about ducks a little bit, but the, the probably the one of the biggest areas for for goose hunting, right? Yeah. As far as that, let's touch on that a little bit because that's something I haven't done in years. It's been years and years since I lived back home since I did that. But I, as far as species go, Jay, I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite? Are you – guys that I talk to that speck hunt or they goose hunt and then they duck hunt, they kind of torn either one way or the other in, in most cases that I find. Um, are you more on the duck hunter side or are you like going after specks and geese? I mean, I love duck hunting, love it with a passion, but I really love speckabellas is no, no, it's totally different. From me. Now, I, and I see you smile for those of you watching on YouTube right now. I see you grinning because that's what I'm talking about. I have buddies that were duck hunters and then they got. They got into some situations where they got on some good spec hunts, and they never went back after that. That they love spec hunting. It's the if they have the choice, they're gonna spec hunt. What is it? What what is it about that that makes you kind of shift from one to the other? What's the passion there? Specabellas are one bird that you can really call and really get. You know, you know, a mallard drake is easy to call. Specabelle, I'm not saying they're easy to call. They're very hard to call. They're hard to get in because you they got eyesight like no other. They've been, you know, anything, but by the time they get to us, they've been shot at and pissed on and called at since they've been in Canada. You know, so they um it's a they've heard it and seen it all. Um, you know, in Arkansas, they can go shoot speckabellies, they'll set up in a blind, 12 people in a in a disc field, in a panel blind that sits five feet out the ground and they'll shoot limits of speckabellies in minutes. You know, you try that here, they won't come within a thousand yards of one of those blinds right here. Really? We gotta be stuck in a pit with, uh, and you know, around Gaydon, about every six, 700 yards, there's four kunas have been sitting, that are sitting in a hole in the ground in a pit that have been blowing spec calls since they four years old. And you gotta compete with all that, so. Yeah. It's they pretty the much seen it all. But when you can, when you get specs that you can call and they, you can really work them. It's, and it's such a big bird and such a big pretty bird. Uh, and they talk back to you. Um, it's, it's really something. Yeah. Yeah. As far as eating goes, is that the best to eat? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We talked about table fare a little bit. Specs from what uh, the ones I've eaten in the past, I have to say, in my opinion, they were phenomenal. That's phenomenal table fare. Yeah, I've um, I smoked some a while back, and man, they were just delicious. Uh, I had had some guys over for a little party men's night, and they were so good. But and there's so many different ways to cook them. I mean, I, I know my grandfather rolled over his grave. He saw me breasting specs, but <laughs> It just they take up so much freezer room. I don't have all that room for them. And yeah. it's, when uh, we do, Brad, I mean, I always take the legs too. Cause, but um, and like a spec gumbo, there's no nothing comparable. I mean, my, my family, um, they want they don't want a seafood gumbo anymore. They don't want a chicken gumbo. All they want is a spec gumbo. Really, it's such a deep, dark, rich flavor. Flavor, it's nothing close to it. 
I agree. I agree with that. It is good. And I've eaten it in a gumbo several times and it, it gives it a, a unique flavor. It's uh it's just some it's hard to explain what it tastes like, but it, it's a unique flavor. You know it's spec and it's 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 phenomenal. It gives a good it's excellent in a gumbo, you know. Yeah, it's like a I'll make a speck and I'm doing it sometime with a little oyster gumbo. Uh, oh, that sounds good. Oh yeah, it's and uh, duck duck gumbo is not even close to it. No, and I used to love duck gumbo. Yeah, yep, yep. And, and you know, you said you. I laugh a little bit because you said your grandfather would have ro- he'd roll over. You know, back then, I'm assuming you mean pot roasting them. You know, cooking them whole. Oh yeah. Uh, that's how that's how everybody did it, man. Uh, growing up where I grew up. Even now, all my buddies from Villeplat, all that area that we we grew up on together, when they see me breast a duck, they're like, "Man, what the Jake? What the hell are you doing?" They're like, "Man, you you don't breast a duck. You don't do it that way, you know." And there's so many. That's what's that's what's so unique. We talked about that briefly. Is all the different ways of cooking, and, and I'm open to that. Some guys get really offended by that, you know, because that's the way their grandfathers did it. That's the way they do it. That's the only way to do it. Uh, what I like is that I like getting different influences from other people and how they do it. And uh, it, it just opens up the possibilities for so many different recipes, so many different flavors yeah. and that type of stuff. And that's that's really something that I, I look forward to. But, yeah, I, back in the day, that's all they did, Jay. They were pot roasting them. And if you didn't do that, man, you know, what the hell are you doing? Oh, yeah, that was it. I mean, it uh, but, you know, in a speck breast, it's such a big piece of meat. You know, you can cook it on the pit, um, and then you save the legs, put in a gumbo. Uh, I won the gate on the two years I did the gate on Duck Festival cook-off. I won it both times with, uh, made a speck of belly griots and, and over grits. Grits oh, and yeah. speck of belly griots. Oh, yeah. I've never had that, but it sounds good. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, so, it's just a, so many different ways you can do it. Um, you know, you put them in strips and fry them, make fajitas. Uh, anything you can do with beef, you can do with a with a duck or goose. Yep, yep. Well said. Well said. Well, till season, man. We're getting close to till season now, so let's touch on that a little bit. I know. Uh, do you till hunt for early till season? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I bet, I bet you do. In that area, you better be till hunting because that's a phenomenal time of year for it. So that's what's it looking like? We're going to shoot is till season. And uh, we pretty much, you know, the gate on area, all that area through there in the rice country, you, you pretty much put a, should be able to put a molly walking on them during till season. Is that, is that the best duck hunt of the year in that area? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Till season. That's right. Yeah. How, well, now so it is. it is now, huh? Yep. So how's it looking? Have you been out there? Y'all been brushing up some blinds and stuff like that? No, we, um, my farm is going to um, buffalo this week, and they've been stopping it up, you know, trying to get as much rainwater as they can so they don't have to use diesel fuel uh, or for the pumps. But uh, I've seen some people posting some videos where a bunch of teal are around, and they say there's a bunch. You know, I don't, I don't really want them to show up too early because usually if they're there three weeks early, I don't get a chance to blast out of them because they can be gone by then. That's right. Yeah, you bring up a good point there. We talked about that last week. I had some reports here on the eastern side, you know, southeast side of the state. And uh, and, and like I told one of the guys, I said, man, that's great we're seeing them. I said, but you don't want them here too early because blue wings are, are different, man. They just – they they are – they like you said, they're here today, 
and they can be gone tomorrow. Any kind of temperature change, any kind, they're real, they're real finicky when it comes to that. You don't want to have them too early. You want them to show up right around that that perfect time frame when we open up. Yeah, I've always found they the most fickle bird there is. Yeah. Um, so they're delicious bird. You know, we that's the reason we. I don't have a bunch of other stuff to pot rows because we have so we shoot so many teal during teal season. We save those up and pot rows them all. Well, like the, that Saturday night, we have a deal at our camp that uh, we, you know, every every night's dinner, a Friday and a Saturday night has to be something that was either caught or shot. Okay, so, uh, that's a that's a that's a great idea. That Saturday night will be uh, will be pot roast and teal. So uh, you you mentioned the camp. F- fill me in. Where where's the? Because uh, you live in Lafayette, correct? Uh, and you hunt in Gaydon? Is that where the camp is? Yeah, it's um, it's just a little old far- little farmhouse, uh, just uh, in between Lake Arthur and really in between Klondike there off Highway 14 yeah. and uh, in Gaydon. Uh, it's a good area. It's just a uh, it's. It's strange just because it must have been, I don't know how old this house is, but it was when the, uh, you know, all the people here were really small because the shower hits me about in my chest. (laughs) (laughs) So So I've got to do a, to take a shower, I got to do a limbo, get my head wet back there. You need Uh, need a little seat to sit on almost, like a handicap seat or something, you know, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, So so how old is the farmhouse? I mean, if y'all, do y'all know how old exactly it is? Kind of the history on that? No, I don't know. You're not sure? I don't know. That, that's pretty cool, though, that it's, a uh, you know, like those old those old farmhouses like that, those old camps. Like down here, you know, as we get into the marshes, we'll get into those. Uh, you'll see some of those old camps that are now abandoned. They used to be these duck hunting clubs. We got one not too far right here in Maripaw Swamp, not too far from where I'm at. And, man, like all the ceiling tile and everything, it was built out of old Cypress, Jay. And it's just it's so cool, man. The way the way they designed all that stuff. They even had like the dog kennels where they they built it all out of old cypress, and all the kennels were out, built out of that old cypress. And uh, they had them out there so they keep their dogs in there, whether they were running deer or rabbits or or whatever they were using them for. Oh, wow. And uh, it's just so cool to see those old old uh, you know camps and farmhouses and stuff like that. Because I'm a big history buff, I like I like kind of finding out the history of that stuff. But uh, how long have y'all had it? Let me ask you that: is it is it you that owns it, or is it a, a group of y'all that own the camp? No, together? it's a it's I rent it each year. I mean, but I rent it for I've been renting it for three years. Okay. Um, okay. It is it is nothing fancy. That's it's it's strictly a duck camp. Yeah. Um, yeah. We rent it and. Uh, Rent it for all year, but you know, after after duck season, I'm not back there. <laughs> yeah, hey, we the same way. We got a camp over not too far from you. We uh we over in uh Whiskey Bay. We got one on the levee right there that butts up uh-huh. the Sherbin Wildlife Management Area, and that's how that's how we operate ours. We use it basically for hunting season. We rent it for the year. It's nothing fancy. It's a good, comfortable place to to take a shower, sleep. But we dare to hunt. That's what we use it for. You know. I tell guys, I say, it's not something when I say, hey, you want to come to the camp and make a hunt? I say, it's nothing extravagant, but it's it's something that's comfortable. You can lay your head. You can wash your ass. You can eat good food, and we're going to go hunt and have a good time. And that's that's what we – that's what it's all about at the camp for us, you know? 
Yeah, it's exactly in here. It's uh, we spend most of the time outside by the fire, you know, and it's and even during till season we'll have a campfire. Uh, well, you need it. You need it for the mosquitoes. Yeah, for true. Uh, <laughs> but it's You're funny about it. this house because it's so old. It it doesn't have any hardly any like in the kitchen. It doesn't uh-huh. have it in, in the whole house. It doesn't have any electrical plugs because back then Ooh. they didn't have different stuff to plug in. You know, they didn't have yeah. plastic plugged in and all that kind of stuff. Correct, so we got, correct. We got extension cords and outlets running all over, all over the place. Running all over. Uh, a giant-ass fire hazard pretty much is what you say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got yeah. smoke alarms everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably need some good smoke alarms then if that's the case. No, but that's cool. I mean, that's going back to the old ways, the way they did it back in the day. And y'all getting to experience a little piece of that, you know, and I think that's that's awesome. That's that's part of history. That's the way it was, you know. So that that yeah, is pretty cool. Had owned it before. They must have been about three feet tall or so. <laughs> it, it sounds like it from the shower situation you got. Yeah, you turn it on the shower and it's hitting you down there in the lower parts and your man parts pretty much is what it sounds like. <laughs> All that air gets cleaned up pretty good then. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty cool. So you heard some good reports on Teal. That sounds like that's promising in the area. I know we heard some some reports here. Uh, so far, so good. Knock on wood, we've been good. No major storms, nothing like that happening, man. Let me ask you about that. Uh, you know, the last several years in your area over there, uh, I know Lake Charles got hit real hard by hurricanes over the last several years. Uh, did y'all did y'all see that that affected where you hunt at from the storms that came through over the last several years? Did that play a, a any kind of factor into what y'all saw as far as uh, birds coming down or, or habitat? No, I don't think um, it didn't really hurt. You know, it dumped a bunch of rain, you know, at the camp, we lost some, uh, some parts off the roof. Um, now in the marsh, they lost a bunch of cover, uh, you know, cause it blew down all the Rosa and stuff there, you know, uh, between I'd say Pecan Island to, uh, well, really, I guess, Marsh Island to to Texas, yeah. um, but not in the rice fields. We didn't have that much though. Yeah, then we got real lucky. too much. Yeah, we got real lucky with storms the last few years. Well, that's good. That's good. I know. I know on the the Lake Charles side, it affected them quite a bit. And then last year when we had the hurricane hit, it hit more on our end on the eastern part of the state. That really affected us. But you know what's crazy? And I've mentioned this before, Jay, but on our end, like it totally changed the marshes down here. Uh, you know, because the marshes, what it did, what I find it did is it some areas of the marsh, like, you know, it, it ruined it completely as far as habitat went last year. But then other areas, it, it kind of transformed some, some of the dead areas, like up around Manchac, uh, you know, up around Lake Pontchartrain, those freshwater marshes, it, it kind of purged those systems. It opened up some of those areas that had been clogged up where at one time years ago they were open, they had duck ponds, and then, event, you know, the grass eventually took over and clogged all that up. And it, it basically just picked a lot of that stuff up and opened all those marshes back up a little bit. So it, it ended up helping several people I know last year when they hunted some of that, uh, some of those freshwater marshes and those those brackish marshes, uh, and this year going in and scouting, I went scouting a couple of weeks ago. Man, the food that it brought back this year, it, it opened up some of that. I think those, you know, the sunlight having a, a good summer with no major storms, it brought back a lot of good food sources in the marsh this year. So I'm looking forward to to being able to hunt that side of the state this year because I think it's uh, I think it's going to really be good as far as the food sources coming back. Uh, 
and we're kind of rejuvenating those areas, you know? Well, that's good news about the food in the marsh because uh, that'll really help. That'll hold a bunch of birds. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about the things that have changed too. Besides just the farming and the crawfish and stuff, things change. You know, back when I was a kid, Oklahoma didn't have ducks. Um, we used to go out to West Texas. We're out bird hunting out there, you know, uh, Abilene area and stuff. There weren't geese out there then. Now it's huge goose hunting. Um, but they had ducks. They had these tanks that had ducks. Mm-hmm. But nobody out there knew what they were. We had a game warden stop us one time. We had pintails. He didn't know what pintails were. The game warden didn't know what pintails were? Uh, I mean, we used to put a molly whooping on some ducks in those tanks. Really? And, but you had to do it, you know, real early in the morning. Because they came in there. they go to those peanut fields and eat. And they come in there. they get thirsty, want to drink a water, and come in there early in the morning. But, yeah, they didn't know. They didn't. Nobody duck hunted out there. They didn't know anything about ducks. Wow. Um, and now that's that's a good area out there. Same with Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, but we don't see robins like we used to see. Good point. That's a very – we talk about that every year. It seems like every year there's less and less of them. But I remember as a kid, you know, you'd wake up and you had a good cold morning, you know, and they were out in the front yard. They were hopping around, oh, feeding, yeah. you know, doing all that stuff. And now, Jay, it's not – I mean, it's – you don't even see them come down here to Louisiana hardly anymore. Um, yeah, I don't know what, you know, I know weather has a lot to do with, you know, it seems like we don't get cold until real late in the season or after the season now. Yeah. Um, so it's yep. just hard to tell. Like last year, I hope it doesn't do like last year where just we get all this rain and right before duck season, we don't get any more rain because we didn't get Correct. Rain. Correct. Yeah, because we it's such a fun. That's right. It's such a fine line because we need the rain, but you you don't want too much rain like it was, you know, several years back. I forgot what year it was. There it had rained all year long. We had a El Nino winter, they called it or whatever. And uh, you know, there was so much water that the ducks had I mean, they had so it was it was hard, especially us as public land hunters moving around. You you had to the ducks had so much area to go to. That's what I'm trying to say, is that it, it made it tough to hunt. So it's a fine line. You need the water. But you don't want too much water, and, and and I know that's hard to understand if you've never hunted down here. But that's kind of the way it is, you know. You, you want that water, but then, like you say, last year we had the rain, and then it, it stopped, and it's like it did. We didn't rain at all through the season, hardly at all. Yeah, because I was I had a um, my goose line, I didn't flood. No, they couldn't flood it, and I said, "Well, I'll just wait on you know get some rain." Because you just a lot of those goose fields, you just want it like a little muddy, nasty geese like yeah. that. Makes Chopped it up, easy to feed, pull up stuff, and it was dry all year. Yeah, it was dry. Yeah, uh, it's it's crazy how that works. It, it's I don't know. They saying it's going to be another dry winter from what I heard so far, but I don't know. Looking at it like it is now, it's raining every damn day, like we mentioned. So you, you just don't know, man. I mean, we always laugh. That's the only profession that you could screw up a hundred percent of the time and still keep a job as a weatherman. And if we if we rely on the weather, man, we'd never we'd never leave the house to go, you know, to go do anything. So you know, and they they just don't get any better. They just don't get any better. Like <laughs> the other morning I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, looked at my weather channel deal, and it said 17% chance of rain all morning. Yeah. And only 17 it rained three times hard before 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's they don't know it's supposed to rain. It rained, you know, we got almost three inches in an hour. Um, I was out, I went 
hunting last year, I like a little wind when I'm goose hunting. And it said it was blowing 19 miles an hour currently on the Weather Channel. Uh, and I videoed the gra- grass, Johnson grass, from, and it was just bone still. It just still as could be, you know. Not even moving. Not moving a bit at 19 miles an hour. Oh, that's crazy. But you try I to know. go fishing, and they say calm, and you get out there, and it's 15, 20. It's, uh, it's blowing its ass off. I know. I know. Oh, yeah. I know how that is. Yep. It's it's crazy, man. It's so frustrating. But, uh, I mean, you just – like I tell my, my son, my youngest son, I say, you just got to go. You just got to go because yep. if you're banking on all that stuff, just go and kind of prepare. That's all you could really do, you know. That's all yeah, you could – Yeah, the problem is, you know, I, hunt, I fish either Grand Isle, which, you know, is a track for us to get to, or uh, here for me and Bay which the fishing doesn't normally get good till this time of year. But, and I go out of Delcom there, so it's like a 15-minute run down the canal to get to the bay. Yeah. So, well, uh, you know, expensive as gas is now, you fill up that bay boat and get down there, and it's supposed to be calm, and you've got 15, you get 15-mile-an-hour winds in Korean Bay, you got big waves. Yeah. So <laughs> you just turn around and go back. So Yeah. Yeah, you know. You don't want to take that on. It's too dangerous at that point. Yeah. Well, it, in a good bay boat, it's okay, but in the, it's just you get wet, you know, just a yep. pounding. Yep. Well, Jay, let me ask you this. I know y'all hunt mostly like that Gaydon area, stuff like that. Do you ever you ever take any trips outside of the state or anymore? I know you mentioned y'all used to go to Texas or, uh, or any other areas. Do you ever go to Venice, any of those areas down in the state? Um. You know, I get invited on some trips. Uh, usually go to South Texas, hunt uh, ducks over there at somebody's place. Um, I'll go down hunt the marsh around Lake Arthur a few times. Um, uh, go to South Arkansas a few times. Uh, buddy of mine's got a place up there. Um, but just don't get the time, you know, to get to travel a whole bunch. Yeah. Uh, I got some, you know guys asking me to go out Sand Hill crane hunting and goose hunting in West Texas, and I just don't know if I'm gonna have time this year. I mean, our yeah. my main problem right now is getting stock. We've uh, we've been selling stuff like crazy, and we just can't get. We've had an order. Our next shipment's supposed to be here first uh, of August, and now they're saying it's not even be in port until September fourth. Yeah, supply supply chain issues. Everybody's dealing with it, man. It's it's changed. I'm in the marine industry. I I sell boats for a living, and it's a uh, it, it has you know I've been doing this a long time professionally, and it it's changed the game for us tremendously in the last two years. And I talk to other people in every other industry, and they experiencing the same thing, you know. And uh, unfortunately, in your situation, when you have a a niche, you know, as far as hey, this product needs to be delivered by this time of year because you only got a small window, that's got to be frustrating, you know? Oh, it's awful because we, we came out with this new roll-up teal blind that's just so easy to do. Sets up in minutes, you know, weighs like 12, 14 pounds, you know, depending on how, many, how long it is. And at the end of the teal season, you roll it up, put it in your shed or something, you got it for the next 20 years probably. I don't know how long it'll last, but oh, it's going to wow. last a long time. And – we sold out in no time. Oh, I'd had a, I ordered a bunch of back in, you know, late April. I ordered a bunch of green to come in, which we're going to get after, you know, too late to sell for till season this year. Yeah. And we've been out of bundle grass for months now. And people, I don't know how many phone calls I get per day or messages. And they, 
when are you going to have it in? So what is it supposed to have been in? Yeah. You, can, you can't order. get you can't give an an honest answer because you had the mercy of the manufacturers and the distributors and whoever else you're dealing with, you know. So yeah, it's frustrating. And and I think people are thought, I mean, you know, people get agitated with you when you have to give them that answer. But I think now it's become part of our, our society the last two years. People are kind of starting to understand it a little bit. They know, hey, it's not just you, you know, as a business owner. Oh, it's yeah. not just Jay that can't get me the product. It, it's 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 all over the place now, you know, and, and that's just oh, the way life has become. They understand, but the problem is we lose money. Yeah. Because we lose not those. I've had to turn down just one order, a $6,000 order just for teal blinds. Oh yeah. You know, um, and as a business, it's hard to survive when it's like that. Yeah. Cause we still paying for this warehouse, even though it's empty. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, people are just, they're very, very understanding, you know, but you just don't have anything to, you can't get product product in and it's the shipping industry. It's the problem. I mean, with these, there's 20 to 30 boats stacked up outside Houston right now. They can't get yeah. in. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We had a situation on the Marine side. Uh, I had a, uh, you know, we deal with Yamaha motors and Mercury motors and I had a, uh, I had a sales rep for Yamaha. He was at our store visiting us, and he told us, he said, he said, uh, you know, Jacob, he said, the thing is, he says, we have 4,000 motors plus. He said, sitting on the dock in Japan at the Yamaha factory, he said, and there's no shipping containers to load them onto because there's a shortage of shipping containers. He said, literally, sitting on the docks in crates ready to go to the United States. He said, then, if you're lucky enough to get them on a shipping container, he said, you get them. They, they sit off the coast of California, he said, for two months, three months, because he said the lack of workforce, there's people that aren't working on the docks to unload the shipping containers anymore. He said they don't want to go to work no more. So, it, I mean, that's incredible. It's changed society, you know, this pandemic that we had hit two years ago. And, uh, you know, I laugh. I said that. And I said people already didn't want to go to work. I said then they, the government started handing out the free money. They're really yeah. not going to want to go to work at that point, you know, and that's a whole different story that we don't, we're not going to get into politics on, but I mean, that's, that's all plays into it. You know, uh, us from an outdoorsman and you as a, as a businessman trying to sell a product, it affects everybody. It trickles down to everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's killing us. We've been, we've been out of product for some of our products, I said for four months and yeah. you know, we got two more shipments coming in. Which they told me one I can probably expect in October, which I think that's BS. We probably won't get it till December, January. Yeah, they're just uh, trying to make it sound good for you. Oh yeah, yeah. But because yeah. we've been shipping, you know, we ship all over the United States and we ship to Canada, and uh, even got an order from uh, Ireland yesterday. Ireland, really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. That, that's incredible, man. Uh, Nebraska football game, so they want to get into some grass or something. <laughs> So let me ask you that. How, like, okay, so you're, you you talked about trying to get in. You were trying to get into the big box retail stores years ago. And I worked for Cabela's for almost 13 years. So I I, I went through that situation uh, with, with the big box stores and all that stuff. But most of your traffic nowadays, is it coming through your website? Is it coming through social media, word of mouth? Where, where does most of that traffic come from? Because I know, look, you sitting down doing a podcast with me today that's going out to listeners. So, you, you know, people are going to hear about the product that may not have known about the product. 
And and I, my wife, she laughs. She says, "Why do why do y'all do these podcasts? Who wants to sit and listen to, to a podcast?" <laughs> and I laugh. I said, "There's a lot of people that want to listen to a podcast. You could get in the truck, turn it on, and you could go down the road and." Guys that are interested in the same stuff, we all want to hear other store people's stories, you know. And uh, but just that yeah, type of stuff. That's Luke Bryan. It's like play what? on radio three thousand times a day. <laughs> that's right. They'll play that's any exactly. good artist on radio. You know. That's true. The old George Straits and George Jones and all that stuff. You don't get to hear all that no more. But we are even Turnpike Troubadours and Randy Rogers and stuff. Yeah, that's right. Some of that. Some of that Texas uh, culture. So yeah. that's. That's a. Uh, I agree. I I love all that, man. That's what we listen to at the camp, you know. No, yeah, Country gold. Music that just never gets on the radio. You don't get it on the radio. That's right. It's mainstream. But but where's that traffic you find nowadays? Where what's what's influencing the traffic? Where's it coming from? I mean, we. I, I hate to do it, but we do a lot on Facebook. We you know run some ads, um, which we can't we can't advertise now because we don't have hardly anything in stock. Yeah, that's one thing that'll piss people off. You start advertising for something, and they go to <laughs> you don't have it. and there's nothing in stock. Yep. Um, so, but social media. Really, and last year we didn't have our main order was supposed to be in August. It didn't get here till the middle of December. So we really got stagnated last year. Really. Um, but you know we get a lot of a lot of referrals. Um, like there's a website, I think Refuge Farm, something like that, and they yeah. I didn't yep. ever heard of it. And some people started calling or texting me saying, you, you're getting a lot of people talk about you on this website. Uh-huh. So I went and looked at that. So, um, you know, a lot of word of mouth. Uh, we had some guys in California get it. And I don't know how many orders we got from freaking Napa, California. And, you know, just one guy would get it and they'd tell them to show it to somebody else and they show it to somebody else. And word of mouth. Like that. Word of mouth is powerful, Jay. And you know that as a businessman, it is extremely powerful, man. Guys use the product. They see the product. Uh, other guys see the product, and, and it, it snowballs from there. And that's and honestly, that's what's great about social media now because it exposes so many more people, uh, you know, to the product. And I, I, that's how I came across you. And you were right here in my backyard in Louisiana. And I had I, honestly, I saw you on social media, and I started looking into it, and I was like, man, he he – he took something so simple that we've been needing for years that every hunter could use no matter how you hunt. And he brought it to the market and is offering it now. And it's a better product than what's out there, you know? And that's what, that's what intrigued me. And then I said, I got to reach out to you and talk to you. I wanted to get you on the show to tell your story because man, I love promoting stuff, you know, local guys here in Louisiana first and foremost, but you know, it's just, uh, I love talking to anybody who has an idea like that. And, uh, and and brings it to market for everybody to have. So it's that's what that's what sparked my interest in, in getting in touch with you and, and going from there with it. But um, social media has really changed the game. It, it really has because oh, yeah. if you're not using social media, no matter what generation you are, and that's always a big conversation. Well, the older generations, you know, having to adjust to social media and all that. But with it being, you know, for the most part, you, you still I say free. It's, it's really not free, but it is free. That's the way they advertise it. But if you're not using it, you know, because it doesn't cost, you know, what advertising billboards and all that type of stuff costs, you know, digital media, then, then you lose it out, you know, because there's a lot of traffic that's coming through there. Word of mouth that gets shared, you know, and all that type of stuff. And, and you got to be in that game now. There's no matter what generation you're from, if you're a business owner. Yeah, it really does. And then we didn't see 
the last few first few years we couldn't do any trade shows, hunting shows, because they didn't have any. Because the uh, or we didn't either didn't have any product or coronas or COVID. Yeah. And then we did a few this year. Um, we did a Ducks Unlimited Expo in Dallas. Did the Delta Waterfowl in uh, Art Little Rock. Uh, the National DU Convention in New Orleans. And then we had a rep do some up, up north this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he's, he has another product. And he said he just carries some ice stuff to show. Um, but it's funny, at the shows, the main thing people would walk, we had a panel blind with the blind grass on it. And guys would walk up and they'd feel it. And they go, oh, I thought that was real. That's how <laughs> real it was. You know? That's when you know it's good. Um, so, you know, getting out and doing some shows, that helped people get out there and see it that, they couldn't see it, but it, it's just crazy the amount of the size of orders that people. When we first started, people would buy like eight pounds of bundle grass, you know, four mats of this, and then now it's like it's crazy the amount of people that have sent in a thousand dollar order, never call us or anything, just big ass orders like that coming in. Yep. Yeah. Well, that that attests to you and the product, Jay. I mean, obviously they've heard good things about it, so I mean, congrats, man, on it and. Uh, I wish you the best, a lot of success. Uh, you know, I know we're getting close to an hour of your time. I don't want to take up your entire Sunday, but man, I just want to, I do want to take time to thank you for joining us this week and, uh, and all the listeners, whether you're watching us on YouTube or, uh, or listening to us on audio, we appreciate Jay coming in this week, Jay. And, uh, and man, I've been scrolling. I don't know if you were able to notice it, but if you're watching on YouTube, we've been scrolling the information on how to reach out to Jay, but for, for all of you who are listening on the audio, Jay, how can they get in touch with you as far as placing orders or or just reaching out if they got questions about the product? Uh, our Facebook is Blindgrass. Our Instagram is Blindgrass Camo. Uh, phone number is 337-257-0318. Um, email is sales at blindgrass.com. Um, I think that's all our ways. I mean, and if you don't get an answer on the text me- on a message or because we get Facebook message, Instagram message, all kinds of different stuff, you know, holler back. Because sometimes I'll, I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning, can't sleep, and I'll read the message. I don't want to respond to somebody because I don't want to wake them up. So I, then I forget to go back and or we forget to go back and get at home. Um, so all those different ways we got. um and I need to send you a send you a goodie bag because I really appreciate you bringing us on. Uh, I'm gonna get you. This is one of our best other thing besides grass. We have a few other products. This is uh, how we get on there. Our dry shell bag. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that. I'm glad Those you mentioned are, that. I, I can't figure out how to get. <laughs> yeah, I know. When you're on the screen, everything's opposite. So yeah, yeah. There you go. We got you. We got you. For all of us watching on YouTube now. So. But yeah, you have a dry shell bag that's uh that's just a simple design it looked like. But what I liked about that, Jay, to be honest with you, is you see a lot of wet, you know, dry bags and stuff like that. But yours, you can it's clear, you can see through it, and I like that. So you know what shells you got? Yes. So you know you got one for twenty gauge. You got you got one for your goose load. You got one for twelve gauge. Um, in fact, one of the large companies decoys that they knocked ours off this year. Um, cause I didn't get a patent on it because I didn't figure it was something patentable, but they yeah. knocked it off, but, uh, they didn't do theirs clear back. They, they call it ours, a dry shot shell bag. 
make sure how there's a dry shot your pouch. Gotcha. <laughs> they change it up just enough to, to not have any issues. But people's comments said, thing about it is yours is clear. Yep. Because how many times you take your shotgun shell, like we'll be teal hunting next week, a couple of weeks, you put your box of shells on the levee, which has gotten dude on, and in a few minutes, you got the shell, is the, the box is disintegrated, and your oh, shell's yeah. all over the ground. Yep. Then they get wet, then they get rusted. Then you're throwing dollar bills away. Yep. And, you know, these hold uh, about two boxes of shells. Um, got a little clip, a lanyard, uh, a uh, carabiner or a carabiner. I never know what that word is. Yeah, me and neither. Hold it, hold it on something, and you just roll it up, keep your shells dry, because I'm bad about going to camp, having a few beers, leaving my, all my stuff in the back of the truck. It <laughs> rains, and everything's wet. This way I don't lose my shells. There you go. That's right. But, yeah, I, I saw that, and I was like, man, that's a great idea. It's see-through. And, and you know, you fumbling through, trying – by the end of the season, you got all kind of different gauges in there if you shot or different shots, you know, and you're trying to figure out what you got in there. I like to be able to look through it. It's something so simple, but it's very useful, you know. So that's a that's a cool product, guys. And you got those in stock right now, Jay? Yeah, we got good stock on those. Yeah, guys, go check those out because that is something simple that you could use in the, no matter how you hunt. It's, uh, you know, I know most of us, we, we use a Ziploc bag or something like that. But yeah. this is much better. This is a, it's, it's a good quality build product, it looks like. Um, and it's something so simple. And if you're looking to give out, you know, gifts with the holidays and stuff coming up, that's an excellent gift to give an outdoorsman, somebody who hunts. Uh, you know, so go check them out on, on the website and uh, get, you, get you a couple of those and get your buddies some. Yeah, for less than $20. You know, box of shells is more than that. That's right. And, uh, yeah, I used to use Ziploc bag. I was the worst. I was, you know, Ziploc. But hell, I'd still have them get torn, you know, torn. Yep. Not gonna, shells getting rusted. Um, and it's not safe shooting rusted shells. No, not at all. Not at all. That's 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 right. And you end up throwing them away and wasting money, like you mentioned, when they get too bad anyway, you know. So yeah. that's a pretty cool product. But, but yeah, guys. Funny, I simply say we don't ever get to any. We've rarely had any bad comments. And, uh. You know, the only one I can think of is I put on Instagram about that dry shell bag. And some guy commented, that's a dumb idea. Why? Yeah, I couldn't resist it. I had, I couldn't let it go. You had to ask, yep. Yeah, so why? Because um, Ziploc bags are really inexpensive. I said, well, you can wear a trash bag for waiters too, you know. Exactly. <laughs> a, lot, a lot cheaper than waiters. That's right. That's a very good way to put it to him, too. What did he respond to that? Oh no, 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 <laughs> no! I bet he didn't. No. Yeah. Oh, I know. You know the the thing with growing and becoming more popular and people knowing about the product. You you always say that we. You know, I talk to other podcasters and all digital media creators and influencers, and they tell. I say, hey, with, with, with the good, you always get a little bit of hate that's going to come with it. That's part of the nature of the beast nowadays. But uh, but you just keep doing what you're doing, and, and, and that's all you could do, man. That's all you could do. Just keep moving forward. Yeah, like I said, I've been very, very forward. Because every time you put something out on social media, you stand a chance somebody's going to come make a stupid comment. And I can't stand it. Even, you know, we don't really have any competitors because nothing is like this product. But also, there's a company that does raffia grass. And mm -hmm. people go in there and comment bad things about it. I said, these people are just trying to make a living, man. If you don't. Just keep your comments to yourself unless 
that company has screwed you over personally, yeah, or you've tried to reach out to them and they don't fix it, then maybe say something. But don't just go rip the company without just just because you want to feel good about yourself. Yeah, it's a, it's an opinion. It's an opinion, and at the end of the day, they're trying to sell a product, but it's a product that's trying to help us as outdoorsmen. You know, so yeah, that's the way I see it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. They, it's too many times you you could you could get ripped for that type of stuff, but then again, like you said, when you put it out there, you always have that chance of it happening to you, you know? Yeah. So, well, Jay, thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate having you on and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. If you ever have any new product that you, you putting out there and you want to get it out, man, hit me up. We'd love to have you back on, on another episode or even do it on a, we can do something on YouTube, however you want to do it. But man, it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you, sitting down with you. You're a great guy. And uh, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the time we spent together today. So thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks so much for coming, uh, for letting me come on and uh, come make a hunt. We always hunting this year. Uh, we'd love to, man. I got a 13-year-old who's ate up with it, and he uh, he ain't ever got his shot at Riceville hunt yet. He didn't he didn't get to do that like I did growing up. And uh, he, he's kind of curious about that. He's been asking me about it. And uh, that may be something we have to hook up and do, man. It's I know he he would love to do it. So if you have an opening, let us know. We love it. We love the opportunity. Well, bring him on. I mean, he may learn a few bad words or something, but it ain't any worse than he's learning in our dog blind. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that. But uh, but yeah, keep keep us posted, man. If you got something, you're looking for somebody, let us know. We'd love to make that trip. All right, well, come on. We'll, we can uh, make it work. All right, man. Well, look, Jay. Thank you so much, and uh. And uh, we'll do it again soon, hopefully. But if there's anything else, like I said, that you wanna you wanna get out there, let us know. We're here for you. Great. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. You have a good Sunday, Jay. You too. Okay, God take care. Bye bye. Well, guys, there you have it. Another episode with a with a phenomenal guy, man. I really enjoyed Jay, man. We talked uh before we even got on air on this episode. And that dude, that dude's a he's, he's a trip, man. He had me cracking up. And uh, he's a jokester. He likes to play jokes, and he likes to have a good time, and that's what it's all about, man. That's what we all do. Uh, we all try to do, you know, keep it light and keep it fun and everything. You know, when I when I, when I I do these podcast episodes, I always tell them, my guests, I say, look, I don't go off of a script. We want to just have a, a sit-down chat like we would be sitting around the campfire, the duck camp or the hunting camp, and just make it fun, keep it light. You know, that way it takes the ease off of the guests. They enjoy it. They're a lot more relaxed, and, uh, and and we have a good time with it. So hopefully you guys enjoy it from the looks of it. You do. Um, you enjoy that that the way we do things here on this on these episodes of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, and we're going to continue to do that, guys. But great guests like Jay uh, is what we look forward to bringing to you all season long as we get into another hunting season. And uh, and guys, you can also check them out on all their social media platforms. I've been you've been watching this on youtube on this episode they've been scrolling across the screen reach out to us if you need to get in touch with anybody that we have on the show we'd be happy to put you in contact with them and uh and, and get you over to any of these companies or these guests and uh be able to get you in touch with Alder and some of the products that they offer or just talk duck hunting. they all love to sit down and talk duck hunting like we do here every week and uh have a just have a good conversation with you so anytime hit us up we'd be happy to help you and guys, don't forget to check out our social media platforms. Also, you can look us up on all of the major ones, YouTube. You might be streaming this episode on YouTube. So our YouTube channel, if you haven't liked and subscribed to our YouTube channel, guys, we'd appreciate it if you give us a thumbs up on this video. 
hit that subscribe button and uh, we'd really appreciate it. We're trying to hit that thousand mark here in the next couple of months, maybe, and uh, and keep going from there with it. So YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, um, and also TikTok. Jackson handles all our TikTok stuff for us. So check us out on our social media platforms. Also, guys, if you're looking for Last Stop Waterfowl merch, uh, we had several of you reach out to us on that. You can go to our Instagram bio. We have a link in there. I got the new squirrel season coming up. I got the new squirrel hunter shirt that we put out there for all you small game hunters. Um, I got that and much, much more. We have a link in our bio on Instagram. And also on our Facebook page, we have a link posted there as well. You can hit it up. It'll take you directly to our merch shop. You can order whatever you want, and it's shipped directly to your door, guys. It's pretty cool. We got some neat products on there. So go check that out as well. We'd appreciate it. But until next time, I'm Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, and that's all we have for you this week, guys. Y'all take care, and we'll do it again soon. Y'all take care. This episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Beaver Creek Game Calls. At Beaver Creek Game Calls, all of our calls are handcrafted and held up to the highest standards. Our goal is to provide a quality custom call that every hunter can afford. We strive every day with this goal in mind. We also take pride in our customer service because without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we love and that is to make quality custom hunting calls. All of our calls are proudly made in the USA. Visit us online at beavercreekgamecalls.com and let us build your next call. Tired of looking for that perfect hunting or fishing boat only to see that it's out of stock at your nearest dealer? Well, welcome to Game Changer Boats. We specialize in custom aluminum hunting and fishing boats. If you can dream it, Game Changer Boats can build it. Top quality craftsmanship and attention to detail is what we guarantee our customers. And we are proudly built right here in Louisiana. You can visit us on Facebook at Game Changer Boats or email us directly at GameChangerBoats at Yahoo.com. Contact Game Changer Boats and let's see what we can build for you.